0: Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Undead Airlock Uh, I am sick, I am so sick Uh, (laughs) I maybe caught it at my Halloween party this weekend But I'm here, I'm in a bathrobe, I've got my tea And I'm good to go on this Uh, This is how much I love you guys And how much I love this podcast and that's why I'm doing this even running a 101 degree fever and um, looking looking rough. But you guys can't see me, so it's fine. As I said, welcome back to another episode of Undead Airlock, a weekly horror podcast where, you know, apparently I just, I can't get anything right. Uh, you'll remember that last week we had two fabulous guest hosts and that we enjoyed a, a lovely off-the-cuff discussion about friendship and horror and escape rooms. Oh my. Well, unsurprisingly, without my script, I, uh, I hacked up some things. Uh, Lucky I have a talent for shrinking contrition, so here we go. Error the first. When we were talking about the Slenderman movie, it turns out that Maggie was talking about the Marble Hornet series, not that crowdfunded Slenderman movie that I brought up. I probably should have guessed that once she said something about bees, but, um, you know, hornets, bees, bees, hornets. Ugh, so close, but so far. Uh, of course, Marble Hornets is a YouTube web series inspired by the Slenderman online mythos. Uh, they specialize in creepy videos and lore. I've actually seen this, so I feel doubly stupid/slash bad about not realizing this was the thing that Maggie was talking about. Uh, but there it is. It's available on YouTube, and if you feel so inclined, check it out. Give them your support. Uh, on to the next sin. <laughs> Sipping some tea there. On to the next sin. Uh, This one's actually a little bit more understandable and way more fun. Once Natalie got back to Chicago, she actually contacted Emporium Arcade Bar where she saw that bizarre movie she was talking about. And um, with the help of Odd Obsession Movies, also in Chicago, we were able to determine that the movie that she was talking about was not actually Tokyo Gore Police, but The Boxer's Omen. Guys, if you're a movie fan in or around Chicago, Odd Obsession really deserves your business. You should check them out. I'll tweet their info after the show goes live. And after renting some movies, you just take a walk up Milwaukee Avenue and uh, grab a drink at Emporium. Everyone at both of these places was so enthusiastic and so nice and kind about investigating our movie dilemma for us, and I got to watch The Boxer's Omen, which I had, like, never heard of. And, uh, wow. That movie was a trip you're into bizarro horror stuff like that, bizarro foreign horror, just weird movies in general, this is so worth your time, I mean. And Natalie was right. It'll stick with you. Okay, and uh, one last thing. Okay, no, one penultimate thing. Uh, In my apoplectic rage about Saw sequels, I screamed at the spirit of James Whale rather than at the still-living James Wan. Uh, Mr. Whale's ghost, I am so sorry, loved your work on Frankenstein, sorry to disturb your rest, I hope we can still be friends. And now, I promise, the very last thing, just in case anyone was confused, I did get one person saying they were a little confused. Natalie's husband is named Jason. He was not with us when we were watching Midnight Meat Train, um... I also have a Jason. Natalie has a Jason. I have a Jason. There are two Jasons. As far as we know, neither one of them is evil, but we'll keep an eye on them. Okay, I think that about covers it. I have atoned for my podcast-related sins anyway. I feel better. Don't you feel better? I feel better. Now, as you may or may not recall from last show, this week's show is going to be pretty special. For our very last cast during October of 2017, I think it's going to be great to do a 2017 Best Of episode, a look at some of the best horror media that's come out so far this year. And hey, unique thing about the list on this podcast, I have personally watched, listened to, or played, or read at least a portion of everything that I mention on this list. They're divided into categories, but this list is in no particular order, just because something is in the number one spot doesn't mean it was the best. It was just really how much my brain or how quickly my brain could conjure up things in each category. So there you have it. Um, It's kind of divided into two subcategories. Things that are standalone, published in 2017, like movies and books, and then serialized stuff that continues into 2017. And uh, you're going to have to give me a little leeway on this. I pretty much included in the comics section, in the web comic section, in the podcast section, anything that's ongoing in 2017. Just because it's on this list doesn't mean it only started this year. Pretty much just the qualifier was that it continued into 2017. For each thing on the list that I've mentioned, I've got the descriptions from either the back of the book, the, uh, the Steam description from the game download, the back of a box, the whatever, And then just a little bit of my own personal commentary. And hopefully that gives you enough information to decide if this thing or that thing is up your alley, if it's something you're interested in too. I think we covered a decent diversity of stuff, but if you've been listening to the cast for a while now, you're going to see that this is, you know, oh, that's something Hannah would like, you know? But again, like, where's your podcast? This is my podcast. This is how it's going to be. Like I said, 10 items, number of categories for you to check out or put on your holiday gift list. So, um,. Let's get right to it, then. Our first category is books. Uh, Probably right up there, my personal favorite kind of horror media. For our selection of the best books, the top ten books of 2017, I've got five novels and I've got five anthologies. Should give you a pretty wide berth of subject matter to go on, and uh, lots of stuff to read and enjoy. Without further ado, again, in no particular order, it's just my ten favorites from this year. Number one, The Devil Crept In, which is a novel written by Anya Albone. Ooh, that reminds me. Further aside, like, please, please don't at me about these pronunciations. I'm doing my absolute best. Some of them I've tried to YouTube to make sure that I'm doing right, but, like, that's no guarantee of correctness, right? Just cut me a break, guys. Remember, I'm sick and sad and, you know, just a, just, just a delicate flower, Okay. Anyway, The Devil Crept In by Anya Albone, who also wrote Within These Walls, which I also really loved. This was published in February of 2017, and from the dust jacket, or well, it doesn't actually have a dust jacket, from the cover, young Jude Brighton has been missing for three days, and while the search for him is in full swing in the small town of Deer Valley, Oregon, the locals are starting to lose hope. They're well aware that the first 48 hours are critical, and after that... The odds usually point to a worst-case scenario, and despite Stevie Clark's youth, he knows that too. He's seen the cop shows. He knows what each ticking moment may mean for Jude, his cousin and best friend. That and there was that boy Max Larson, the one from years ago, found dead after also disappearing under mysterious circumstances. And then there were the animals, pets gone missing out of yards, for years, the residents of Deer Valley had murmured about these unsolved crimes, and that a killer may still be lurking around their quiet town. Now fear is reborn, and for Stevie, who is determined to find out what really happened to Jude, the awful truth may be too horrifying to imagine. This book was really interesting. I super enjoyed it. It's got two plot lines. It's The book is kind of split into, like, thirds. The first plot line, the second plot line, and then the last third of the book; these two plot lines converge and sort of show how they're connected. Um, Stevie is a really great character. I I really connected with this kid. I enjoyed reading his perspective, and I liked following him along through the story. Without giving anything away, I will say, reader beware: the ending kind of. Feels a little out of control, almost like a runaway train, and it wasn't the most satisfying thing for me, but still, solid creep factor in this novel. Great writing, good characters. I super enjoyed the experience, and I think you will too. Novel number two, Ararat, by Christopher Golden. So this book was published in August of 2017. Again, description from the cover. Ararat is the heart-pounding tale of an adventure that goes wrong on a biblical scale. When an earthquake reveals a secret cave hidden inside Mount Ararat in Turkey, a daring newly engaged couple are determined to be the first ones inside, and what they discover will change everything. The cave is actually an ancient buried ship that many quickly come to believe is really Noah's Ark. When a team of scholars, archaeologists, and filmmakers make it inside the Ark, They discover an elaborate coffin in its recesses. Inside the coffin, they find an ugly, misshapen cadaver. Not the holy man they expected, but a hideous creature with horns. Shock and fear turn to horror when a massive blizzard blows in, trapping them thousands of meters up the side of a remote mountain. All they can do is pray for safety, but something wicked is listening to their prayers, and it wants to answer. Ooh, spooky! I almost straight up didn't read this novel because someone described it to me as similar to The Da Vinci Code, which is enough to turn me off of just about any book. But knowing that I was planning to do this list, or well, rather, knowing that I was planning to eventually start trying to do this horror podcast, I went ahead and pushed through. And I'm glad that I did. This book was, again, like a totally nifty read. There's a really diverse cast of characters. The story comes in different perspectives from each of those characters from chapter to chapter, which I guess may have been the reason that someone compared it to The Da Vinci Code, apart from the obvious biblical allegory aspect of it. But still, guys, if you ever want me to read a book, never compare it to The Da Vinci Code. I I will not respond positively. So where was I? Oh, diverse cast of characters... But despite the diversity of the cast of characters, I did feel like maybe some of the characters needed more fleshing out. And um, when, spoiler alert, some of them died, I found myself not really feeling all that much. But good spooky read, great creature stuff, some great death scenes. I mean, if you're into some, some, some gory fight scenes with creepy monsters, like, this is your book. I think you guys might really enjoy reading this. Book number three. Ubo, which is another novel. This was written by Steve Rancic Tim. It came out in February of this year. Um, and this is why I said no particular order. I think this might be my favorite one of the bunch. After I read the description on the inside cover, you guys might be able to guess why if you've actually been listening to anything I've said over the past couple of podcasts. So, Daniel is trapped in Ubo. He has no idea how long he's been imprisoned there by the roaches. Every resident has a similar memory of the journey to Ubo, a dream of dry, chitinous wings crossing the moon, the gigantic insects dropping swiftly over the houses of the neighborhood, passing through walls and windows as if by magic or science, the creatures like a deck of baroquely ornamented cards fanning themselves from one hidden world into the next. And now each day they force Daniel to play a different figure from humanity's violent history, from a frenzied Jack Ripper to a stumbling and confused Stalin to a self-proclaimed god executing survivors atop the ruins of the world. The scenarios mutate day after day in this camp somewhere beyond the rules of time. As skies burn and prisoners go mad, identities dissolve as the experiments evolve, and no one can foretell their mysterious end. You guys, I love sci-fi horror. Sci-fi horror is just my jam. I love sci-fi, I love horror, I love the lens that sci-fi tends to turn on power and evil and human, human violence, human evil. It's great. So this book in particular puts a lens on human violence, our history of violence and what that means for humanity. It's a great concept. It's truly spooky, truly horrifying in some parts, and it was just totally gripping. In case you couldn't tell from the description, I mean, the writing is also just phenomenal. The imagery, some of the wording, it just really swept me in and I loved it until the very last second. Give Ubo a read. Let me know what you think, especially, because like I said, I think this is my favorite one on the book list, and I'd be really interested to hear what all of you guys think. Oh, I forgot to say at the beginning of this list, if anyone wants any sort of content warning about the stuff that I'm going to talk about, please reach out to me. I am more than happy to provide you with a warning of something that you might not like in a particular work. I know me, myself, I always appreciate knowing if there's going to be a rape scene. That That's something that I try to avoid just personally. And um, if there's something like that for you, let me help you out and point you away from anything that might bother you. We're horror fans. We like scary stuff, but that doesn't mean that you have to do something or endure something in horror media that makes you uncomfortable. Like, it's such a diverse art form. There's no need for that. I am here for you. I'm super responsive on Twitter, and I check my email every day. Let me know if there's any way that I can make this list more enjoyable for you. All right. Book number four, 13 Views of the Suicide Woods. Now, this is our first anthology on the list. This was written by Bracken McLeod. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Came out in February of this year. It's a collection of psychological horror stories. And the description from the book is... These stories inhabit the dark places where pain and resignation intersect, and the fear of a quiet moment alone is as terrifying as the unseen thing watching from behind the tree line. A young woman waits for her father to come home from the place where no one goes intending to return. A single word is the push that may break a man and save a life. The members of a winemaking community celebrate the old-time religion found flowing in the blood of the vine. A desperate man seeking a miracle cure gets more than a peek behind the curtain of Dr. Morningstar's psychic surgery. A child who dreams of escaping on leather wings finds rescue in dark water instead. Looking back over a life, a homeless veteran must decide to live in the present if he wants to save his future. In a Halloween hellhouse, a youth pastor must face the judgment of a man committed to doing the Lord's work. Fiery death heralds the beginning of a new life. And in the final story, a man who has been carrying pain with him his entire life gives up his last piece of darkness, and a still day beneath the sun illuminates the quiet sorrow of the last feather to fall. You know, if I had been thinking before I wrote out this script, I would have just ordered the books in terms of, like, the month they were released this year. Clearly not one of my more brilliant moments. Here we are. It's too late. But there you go. Okay, so as I said, Thirteen Views of the Suicide Woods is an anthology. It's primarily a psychological horror anthology. Um, The monsters herein, they're human. And, you know, I really like that about a series. um, Even though I'm a huge monster fan and I enjoy unique concepts for monsters or stories that feature monsters, because I think that can still be really cool, even with all of our modernity and understanding and all of that good stuff, it's still interesting to turn a lens on humanity and have that be the true horror. And in some ways, it's more frightening, because honestly... That's what we're facing every day. The human ills, the human evils. That's the real horror, right, guys? So, give 13 views of the suicide woods a read. I think you'll really enjoy it. You know, most of these stories were primarily a very subtle horror, but when McCloud did incorporate a violent scene or a jarring scene into it, it made it that much more effective because everything else has been so delicately woven and psychologically focused. And I, there were a couple moments and a couple stories where I just was like, Oh my gosh, there it is. And uh, that was really great for me. My personal favorite story out of the whole thing was The Boy Who Dreamt He Was a Bat. Uh, let me know what you think of that story specifically. I really appreciated that one, and I'm excited to uh, have some of my friends read it so we can talk about it. Our fifth book is another anthology. It's called Entropy and Bloom, and it's written by Jeremy Robert Johnson. I'm just going to get right into the description before I go back and tell you why you might recognize that name. These short stories present a brilliantly dark and audaciously weird realm where cosmic nightmares collide with all two human characters and apocalypses of all shapes and sizes loom ominously. In Persistence Hunting, a lonely distance runner is seduced into a brutal life of crime with an ever-narrowing path for escape. In When Susurus Stirs, an unlucky pacifist must stop a horrifying parasite from turning his body into a sentient hive. So this book also includes, along with these short stories, an exclusive never-before-published novella called The Sleep of Judges. In that story, a father's fight against the denizens of a drug den becomes a mind-bending suburban nightmare. So this collection is just surreal. It's weird. It's innovative. I really enjoyed reading this. And you're going to recognize Jeremy Robert Johnson because he's been publishing horror fiction for a while. Um, way back when, it was independent stuff through lots of smaller publishers whose names that I'll have to look up when I do edits. Hey guys, it's me in the edits. Sorry I don't sound a lot better, but um, the publishing house I'm referring to here is Swallowdown Press, which you can easily find when you Google JRJ's name. He's already got a reputation, but this is his big sort of break into mainstream horror publishing and i think it's definitely worth supporting his work so that we get more great absurd weird psych horror that we can enjoy in case i failed to mention it this just came out in october so i mean like go ahead and get your hands on it it's still new it's still fresh and i think it's up to us as horror fans to say that yep this is the stuff that we want when we see something good Best book of 2017, number six, another anthology, Dear Sweet Filthy World by Caitlin R. Kiernan. This one came out in March. I am always jazzed to see a great female author in any context, but especially in the horror genre where I feel like, you know, maybe there's not as many as there should be. There, I said it. Okay, book description. In these pages, you'll meet a dragon's lover, a drowned vampire cursed always to ride the tides, a wardrobe that grants wishes, and a lunatic artist's marriage of the Black Dahlia and the Beast of Givadon. You'll visit a ruined post-industrial ferry, travel back to tropical, paleozoic seas, and ahead to the far-flung future. And you'll meet a desperate writer forced to sell her memories for new ideas. Here are 28 tales of apocalypse and rebirth, of miraculous transformation, and utter annihilation. Here is the place where professing your undying devotion might be precisely the same thing as signing your own death warrant or worse. Ah, so spooky. This anthology was great. I keep saying that, but again, like I'm not going to feel bad about it. It's the best of 2017. All this stuff is great. All of this is stuff I enjoyed. This anthology in particular, they're very different stories. Um they're weird, they're erotic. This is a horrifying world that um, Ms. Kiernan has created here. And the stories, even though they're very different, that they cover widely different subject material, they're all united by just lovely writing and a pervasive sort of unsettling feeling. I found myself just completely absorbed in this book. I've actually finished it in a single night, and I really enjoyed all of the stories. Thinking back on, like, a personal favorite This is really hard to pick. There were a lot of great stories off the top of my head. I really liked Vicaria Draconis and, um, oh gosh, what was that one called? The Giving Cabinet. Um, No, The Granting Cabinet. The Granting Cabinet is another one that I really enjoyed. Okay, book number seven, Wendigo. Shocker, Hannah is picking a story about Wendigos. My Wendigo obsession is really going to show in this episode. Um, Fair warning to all of you. The Wendigo is a novel. (laughs) I keep saying The Wendigo. It's just Wendigo. Algernon Blackwood wrote The Wendigo. Uh, Wendigo is a novel written by Von C. Hardacker. It came out in July of this year. Book description, here we go. Algonquin legend tells of the Wendigo, an evil spirit sent to punish mankind. It can possess a person and turn them into a monstrous creature consumed by a need to eat human flesh. For John Bear, the Wendigo was merely a scary story his grandfather used to tell him. That is, until a man is found dead in the deep northern woods of Maine, butchered like an animal and with his heart cut out. And the only tracks they can find are massive footprints that couldn't possibly be human. Now, John is sure that what is stalking the inhabitants of their remote outpost is a Wendigo, even if no one else believes him. He must stop a monster he once thought was nothing more than a tale to warn children. So I would call this, like, a supernatural thriller. I really liked it. The pacing is, like, a tiny bit off in some places. It's really hard for me to kind of put my finger on exactly why while I'm recording this, because it's been a while since I've read the actual book. But the subject matter and the characters made the read completely worth it for me. I remember that I enjoyed the characters. Hannah loves a good Wendigo story. And despite the minor pacing problems that I seem to remember or persistent but minor pacing problems. I still totally recommend this book. think it's a great read and not just because I'm a Wendigo fangirl. Book number eight, The Girl from Raw Blood. We're back to novels now. Um, Oh, Wendigo was a novel too. Anyway, The Girl from Raw Blood is a novel written by Catriona Ward. It came out in March of this year, so pretty early on in the year. Book description, At the turn of England's century, as the wind whistles in the lonely halls of raw blood, young Iris Villarca is the last of her family's line. They are haunted through the generations by her, a curse passed down through ancient blood that marks each Villarca for certain heartbreak and death. Iris forsakes her promise to her father to remain alone, safe from the world. She dares to fall in love, and the consequences of her choice are immediate and terrifying. As the worlds fall apart around her, she must take a final journey back to raw blood, where it all began. And where it must all end. So this novel won Best Horror at the British Fantasy Awards, and I think it was well-deserved. I got some serious, like, Castle of Otranto sort of vibes. This is a really gothic and literary uh, horror novel, and it it was really just very ethereal feeling throughout, which was super charming to read, even as this spooky story is going on. Um, the narrative style lilts back and forth between a past and present story that are eventually linked together, and that was really enjoyable for me. I appreciated this novel a lot. I like that sort of gothic, romantic feel to horror sometimes. It's it's nice to have some elegance, you know, and that was um, what made this book really enjoyable for me. A woman named Catriona Ward is just obviously going to write something beautiful and gothic and Victorian, and I think this novel is absolutely worth your time. Uh, Book number nine on our best of 2017 list, Black Mad Wheel. Um, This is a novel written by Josh Mallerman. It came out in May. This is the guy who also wrote Bird Box, in case any of you have read that before, I really liked Bird Box. But keep in mind, this is a different book. This is, this is a way different feel, but it's still super enjoyable. I, I especially appreciated this one. Oh, book description. The Danes, the band known as the Darlings of Detroit, are washed up and desperate for inspiration, eager to once again have a number one hit. That is, until an agent from the U.S. Army approaches them. Will they travel to an African desert and track down the source of a mysterious and malevolent sound? Under the guidance of their frontman, Philip Tonka, the Danes embark on a harrowing journey through the scorching desert, a trip that takes Tonka into the heart of an ominous and twisted conspiracy. Meanwhile, in a nondescript Midwestern hospital, a nurse named Ellen tends to a patient recovering from a near-fatal accident. The circumstances that led to his injuries are mysterious, and his body heals at a remarkable rate. Ellen will do the impossible for this enigmatic patient who reveals more about his accident with each passing day. So, obviously, this is a novel that, again, has two narratives that are going to be united in a really interesting way, which is always fun because when you're reading these two stories, you're like, how are these going to connect? And you're trying to guess, which is always a fun experience when you're reading. This is creepy, dark fiction. And like I said when I was talking about how this is this is a different novel than Bird Box, I mean, it's still clearly the same author, but... This is a different story. This is not as overt. This is not as violent. This is creepy, dark fiction. And it it's tense and it's frenzied. And the pacing is great without relying on some of the violence that made Bird Box creepy. Fun concept. I really enjoyed just the concept of, like, sound horror. This evil sound that they're sent to investigate was really fun to read about. Um, it's not the brown note, you guys. Um, but you just still look that up because it's funny. Um, I think you guys will really enjoy this novel go ahead and give it a read. And last but not least, of course, our last book of our best of 2017 books list is Strange Weather, four short novels. So we're ending on an anthology. And this was written by Joe Hill, who is a very familiar name in horror fiction, of course. This pretty much just came out a couple days ago. It just got delivered to my house by Amazon. So full disclosure, I haven't finished this yet, but I'm really enjoying it so far. And I really loved Heart-Shaped Box, and I really loved Horns. So, I'm sure this is only going to continue to be enjoyable for me. Jacket description. Snapshot is the disturbing story of a Silicon Valley adolescent who finds himself threatened by the Phoenician, a tattooed thug who possesses a Polaroid instant camera that erases memories snap by snap. A young man takes to the skies to experience his first parachute jump and winds up a castaway on an impossibly solid cloud, a prosperous island of roiling vapor that seems animated by a mind of its own in a loft. On a seemingly ordinary day in Boulder, Colorado, the clouds open up in a downpour of nails, splinters of bright crystal that shred the skin of anyone not safely undercover. Rain explores this escalating apocalyptic event as the deluge of nails spreads out across the country and around the world. And finally, in Loaded, a mall security guard in a coastal Florida town courageously stops a mass shooting and becomes a hero to the modern gun rights movement. But under the glare of the spotlights, his story begins to unravel, taking his sanity with it. When an out-of-control summer blaze approaches the town, he will reach for the gun again and embark on one last day of reckoning. So, like I said, I haven't actually finished this one yet. I've gotten through Snapshot, loved it, really enjoyed it, and I have great faith in Joe Hill, of course, because of all of the other great horror fiction that he's written. I'm sure I'm going to enjoy the other three stories. All right, well, that does it for our top ten books. Let us move on to the top ten movies of 2017, in my humble opinion. So I went with the U.S. release dates on all of these. That is what encapsulated 2017 to me. That's what I've taken 2017 to mean in this movie list. So international viewers, I'm sorry. Some of this information may not actually be 2017 worthy for you guys. But um, I'm here in the good old U.S. of A. And that's what I'm going with. Movie number one, Get Out. Uh, This was written and directed by Jordan Peele. It came out in February of this year. I think it's been talked about a lot. There's been a lot of buzz around this movie. And it's well-deserved. It uh, confronts some uncomfortable topics that are super relevant right now in our current presidency, in our current political climate, and um, that uncomfortableness works really well for this movie, which is actually, like, genuinely frightening. I really enjoyed it. So, the the IMDB description, if you will... It's time for a young black man to meet with his white girlfriend's parents for a weekend in their secluded estate in the woods, but before long, the friendly and polite ambiance will give way to a nightmare. Give this movie a watch. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Man, I should have puttin' down some written, some stars that were in these movies before I started these descriptions. These movie descriptions are probably gonna be a lot shorter than the book ones because I just, you know, because they are. The, book descri- or the the movie descriptions are just shorter than stuff that's written on the inside of a book jacket, so there you go. Uh, movie number two, The Void. Released in April of 2017 in the U.S., Canada. I know you got it earlier, but I'm going to count it. This was written and directed by Steve Kostansky and Jeremy Gillespie after a successful Indiegogo funding campaign. They raised $82,510 to make this movie. You may remember this from my, uh, mentioning it last episode, I think. This is the movie with the phenomenal practical effects. Yes, suffering story, but, like, watch this for the practical effects. I think you guys will be blown away by some of the stuff that you see. Alright, back-of-the-box description. Shortly after delivering a patient to an understaffed hospital, a police officer experiences strange and violent occurrences seemingly linked to a group of mysterious hooded figures. When cuffing fit tail. get it guys like spongebob <coughs> Man, i'm gonna have to cut a lot of coughing out of this cast uh go watch the void i think you'll enjoy it especially if you are a fan of great practical effects some sort of hr geiger-esque imagery hp lovecraft all of that good stuff watch the void movie number three for our best of 2017 show it no one is surprised that this movie was included on the list but there you go it is, of course, based on the novel of the same name by Stephen King. It's planned as a, uh, the first part of a duology with the second movie being when um, these children in the first movie grow up. So back of the box description, a group of bullied kids band together when a shape-shifting demon takes on the appearance of a clown and begins hunting children. This was directed by Andre Muschietti, who you may remember was also the director of Mama. Um, And it was written by Chase Palmer, Carrie Fukunaga, and Gary Doberman. It stars Bill Skarsgård as the titular It. I am a huge Bill Skarsgård fan. I loved Hemlock Grove. I have a really big soft spot for that show. And uh, Bill did a great job, as was, of course, expected by me, because he is great. This movie is definitely worth a watch this year. Oh, and we're probably going to see a lot of It Halloween costumes. Movie number four, The Girl with All the Gifts. This one, again, is just based on the U.S. release date. I know it came out earlier internationally, but I, you know, again, I live in the U.S. Directed by Cole McCarthy, written by Mike Carey, based on his novel by the same name, The Girl with All the Gifts. And I definitely recommend you guys check out the book, too. It's obviously not included on this list because it wasn't published in 2017, but it's great zombie fiction and it is absolutely worth a read. In this post-apocalyptic story about a devastating disease that eradicates free will and turns its victims into flesh-eating hungries, a scientist and a teacher living in a dystopian future embark on a journey of survival with a very special young girl named Melanie. This movie takes established zombie tropes and sort of explores what might happen if certain scenarios were to take place. Particularly, it addresses the idea of children affected by the zombie virus but in a way that you might not expect melanie is brilliantly acted the young woman who plays her senia nenua does a great job and i just highly recommend giving this movie a watch glenn close is in it and playing a role that maybe i wouldn't have expected her to play but that i thought was very enjoyable and the uh the teacher is also just very well played uh there's a lot of well-acted characters in this movie and i really enjoyed it um Plus, I just love a good old zombie flick, and this was a high production value zombie flick, and I think it's definitely worth a watch. Film number five for our best of 2017 movie list is Gerald's Game, another movie based on a Stephen King story. Clearly, I am a sucker for this sort of thing. I'm a big Stephen King fan. I've been collecting his hardcovers since a while. I mean, like, I have a ton of them in my guest bedroom on my horror bookshelf. Gerald's Game is actually one of those stories where you as a reader will think, how on earth is someone going to turn this into a movie? But they did, and they did it this year. Gerald's Game was directed by Mike Flanagan, and he also did the screenplay, the screenplay adaptation of the book. This is a completely unexpected success in my opinion again as someone who's read gerald's game i was not really sure how this would successfully translate into a film but i thoroughly enjoyed it it's out on netflix which is super convenient for all of us to watch you don't even have to get dressed and leave to go to the movie theater how awesome is that the imdb description a woman accidentally kills her husband during a kinky game handcuffed to her bed with no hope of rescue she begins hearing voices and seeing strange visions Watch out with those kinky games, you guys, Uh, be careful, and give Gerald's Game a Watch because it is absolutely worth your time this year. Movie number six, another movie that's available on Netflix for you guys to watch, uh, The Transfiguration. The Transfiguration follows troubled teen Milo, who hides behind his fascination with vampire lore. When he meets the equally alienated Sophie, the two form a bond that begins to challenge Milo's dark obsession, blurring his fantasy into reality. Uh, This movie came out in April of this year. It was written and directed by Michael O'Shea. This movie was just creepy throughout. I mean, just really unsettling and disturbing and effective as a psychological horror movie. And that is primarily what it is. It is a meditation on mental illness, trauma, and um, lots of other dark issues of humanity that are unsettling to watch on screen. This movie is phenomenally acted. It primarily focuses on two very young characters and the actor and actress who play them do an excellent job. So give Transfiguration a watch and then after it's over, like, watch a cartoon or something because, I mean, (laughs) you might be feeling a little down in the dumps afterward, but it's very effective and very well done and absolutely worth your time. Oh, actually, after watching Transfiguration, you can just watch movie number seven. Prevenge, which is a dark comedy that I thoroughly enjoyed. It came out in March of this year. It was written and directed by Alice Lowe, who is actually also the star of the movie. The back of the box description, a pregnant woman takes revenge, embarking on a killing spree that is both vicious and funny. For ruthless Ruth, will motherhood lead to redemption or destruction? So this is a British comedy, and I thoroughly enjoy British comedies. I think a lot of people I know enjoy British comedies, but it's also a horror comedy. Without giving too much away, this pregnant woman who is the main character of the story begins hearing the voice of the fetus she's carrying, and um, it's not good. Nothing good happens, but gosh, some of the moments are just so absurd and hilarious and terrifying. I highly recommend this one. Definitely deserves a spot on the list. Film number eight, It Comes at Night. After a mysterious apocalypse leaves the world with few survivors, two families forced to share a home form an uneasy alliance in an attempt to keep the outside evil at bay, only to learn that the true horror may come from within. This movie was written and directed by Trey Edwards Schultz. It came out in June of this year. Oh my gosh, with the coughing. You guys can't hear it, but it's happening. This movie is really claustrophobic. It primarily takes place in a, I want to say a single room. It's been a little while since I've watched it, but it, the feelings are very squicky. I mean, you're going to be super unsettled. There's a couple scenes that really just blew me away. And um, it's almost impossible for me to talk about this plot without giving away some important stuff. So I'm going to move on, but give It Comes at Night a watch. Movie number nine. I was so excited when I found out about this movie, when I watched it. I mean, if you guys remember me talking about Repo, the genetic opera, or Little House of Horrors, you know that Lure is just going to hit that sweet spot for me. Let's just go with the IMDb description and you're going to figure out exactly why I said that. In this bold, genre-defying horror musical mashup, the playful and confident debut of Polish director Agnieszka Smozinka... A pair of carnivorous mermaid sisters are drawn ashore in an alternate 80s Poland to explore the wonders and temptations of life on land. You guys, it's like, it's like she had this, it's like she had me in mind when she made this movie. I mean, it's got the 1980s, it's a musical, it's monsters, it's a horror movie. I I don't see what else they could have put in here to make me love it more, unless, you know, for whatever reason, this was taking place in outer space or was some sort of sci-fi show or you know, they personally brought me some popcorn. I loved this movie. It was written by Robert Bolesto and directed by Agnieszka Smoyzinka. It came out in February of this year. If it wasn't obvious by the fangirling that I was doing just now, I really enjoyed this movie. I think you guys will too. Definitely give it a watch if you're into horror, if you're into musicals, if you love the 1980s. I mean, if you put any stock in what I say, watch this movie. Very enjoyable. And finally, number 10, The Black Coat's Daughter. This was released in the U.S. in March of 2017, which is why it is on this list, and I said that. But it actually was finished, I think, in, I want to say, 2015, even though it didn't make its way to us until 2017. I'm going to sneeze. Bless me. Thank me. I'm welcome. Okay. This was written and directed by Oz Perkins. During the dead of winter, a troubled young woman embarks on a mysterious journey to an isolated prep school where two stranded students face a sinister threat from an unseen evil force. This movie is just just a good old satanic story and there is um there is a you know I was almost about to say something that would again just just give this movie a watch. If you like satanic stories, if you like um well-done satanic horror go give this movie a watch. I think you'll really enjoy it. It's, again, one of those situations where if I talk about what I liked about the movie, I feel like it gives just a little bit too much of it away. But um, it stars Emma Roberts. It's well done, and I think you should watch it. So as we finish up our movie list and as all good things must come to an end, like the spooky month of October, we also need to close out 2017's list of 31 movies to watch during the month of October. I've really enjoyed giving you guys this list. I hope you've been enjoying watching the movies that were on it. Apropos of the theme of our episode this week, the last three movies for our 31 list all came out in 2017. Don't worry, beloved listeners, this list is going to come back next year with all new or old, not mentioned films for you guys to enjoy. Uh, My final three recommendations for October this year are number 29, Prevenge, Number 30, The Girl with All the Gifts. And finally, the last film that you simply must watch this October, number 31, Get Out. All of which I've, of course, talked about in our top 10 list for 2017. So go forth and watch great horror movies. All right, now that we've finished movies, that brings us to our video game section of the show. Now, some of you might feel like you want to skip ahead on this, um, mistakenly believing that if you don't regularly play games, or if you don't play games at all, that this part of the show is not for you. But hey, if you're a horror fan, I, I think that you might be wrong about that. If you're into horror and you're intrigued by horror games, but you're hesitant to try them, or if you just plain don't have the right systems, if video games are not something you have time for right now, Let's Players are here to help you with that. Apart from providing visuals of the games they play without you having to actually pick up a controller, some of my favorite Let's Players actually provide excellent commentary on these games. They've got great senses of humor, and they're just plain charming. Each game they put out is just a fun experience to watch. All of this is available on YouTube. So if you want to dip your toe into the world of horror gaming, I recommend uh, two of my favorites to get you started on Let's Play videos. And those two guys are John Wolfe, the artist formerly known as Harshly Critical. He just finished up a playthrough of The Evil Within 2, which I haven't watched because obviously I don't want to spoil the end of the game for myself, but... John does a lot of one-shot indie horror games. He's hilarious to watch. He's great. He's not one of those guys who screams and overreacts just to get views. He's got good, honest opinions about what games are, and he's just got no holds bar hilarious, accurate and fun reviews of all sorts of different horror games and like occasionally an adventure game or other games that you might not be expecting, but it's primarily a horror channel. And if you're going to do horror Let's Plays, he's one of the top two guys that I'd recommend. The other guy is Mr. Craven, just a description of himself from his YouTube channel. He does daily uploads of gameplay walkthroughs, commentaries, compilations, and more. So you can check him out. I love his bad indie horror games, personally. There's just something funny about indie horror games that are just, like, in-your-face awful, and Mr. Craven does a great job playing those and commenting on them. It's lots of fun to watch. And if you're checking those two guys out, you may also want to check out their charity co-op channel. It's called Dangerous to Go Alone. Uh, Craven and John are friends in real life, and it's fun to watch them banter back and forth and also play games for a good cause. So you can follow these guys on Twitter, and I will link to their channels and their charity co-op channel. Okay, without further ado, our video game section. Number one. The Evil Within 2, which has just come out this October, of course, it is available for play on the PC, on PS4, and on Xbox One. It was developed by Tango Gameworks, and my birthday present to myself is to finish this game. Please do not spoil the end of this game. I have thus far avoided almost all sorts of spoilers, and I'm having a lot of fun playing it so far, but I want to finish it. Uh, The Evil Within 2 takes the acclaimed franchise to a new level with its unique blend of psychological thrills and true survival horror. Sebastian Castellanos has lost everything, including his daughter Lily. To save her, he's forced to partner with Mobius, the shadowy group responsible for the destruction of his former life. For his last chance at redemption, the only way out is in. I really enjoyed The Evil Within, and I am so excited to finish playing this sequel. It's obviously been one of the most talked about horror games that's come out this year, and uh, so far, it's definitely worth your time to check out. Of course, there have been some changes. I'm particularly noticing the changes in the um, weapons mechanics and things like that. Full disclosure, I haven't had a lot of opportunity to talk about video games. I'm not a huge first-person shooter fan. I, I kind of get made fun of by some friends about my, quote, bad BR, uh, unquote. Um, I disagree with this assessment. But anyway, I'm not the best at first-person shooters. I still really enjoyed The Evil Within. It's one of my favorite horror games, and I'm having a blast playing the sequel. Game number two, Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice. This came out in August. It is available on the PC and the PlayStation 4. Um, This game was actually recommended to me by a really good friend. Thank you, Jake, for the recommendation, but you are dead to me now because you moved back to New York, and I miss you terribly. In Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice, a warrior's brutal journey into myth and madness is set in the Viking Age. A broken Celtic warrior embarks on a haunting vision quest into Viking Hell to fight for the soul of her dead lover. It was created in collaboration with neuroscientists and people who experience psychosis. Hellblade Senua's sacrifice will pull you deep into the melancholic fury of Senua's shattered mind." So that's from the Steam description. Having now played this game, I cannot overstate how absolutely freaking beautiful this game was. Hauntingly beautiful. Just the way it looked, I was blown away in certain places. And I mean, really, throughout the game, it is truly magnificent to watch. And that's to say nothing of the brilliant storyline and writing. This game is personal, it's intense, it's frightening, and the way it deals with mental illness and shows mental illness is really important. All credit to Ninja Theory, who were the developers. I can't say enough good things about Hellblade Senua's sacrifice. Now, if you're reading some of the Steam reviews, people are talking about glitches, um, some of them supposedly game breakers. I didn't have any trouble with that personally, but I understand how that could be frustrating. Nonetheless, I encourage you to uh, give Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice a try. Definitely one of the best horror games of 2017. Game number three, Darkwood. This was another Steam find for me. Uh, This is available on the PC, of course. Darkwood is a new perspective on survival horror. Scavenge and explore a rich, ever changing free roam world by day, then hunker down in your hideout and pray for the morning light. So, this was developed by Acid Wizard Studios, and Darkwood came out in July. When I first read the premise, I was not expecting to find this as creepy as I did because it's a top down perspective, which is weird and not something that I expected to find particularly frightening. It reminded me of that. Or the only game that I could actually think of with top-down perspective that I had played, a horror game anyway, was that zombie game that was available on, it was available for free on, I want to say, like the Xbox or something. There's like a flashlight in front of you. Edits Hannah is going to figure out what that game was called. Edits Hannah here. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm probably delirious with fever. Sorry, everybody. And of course, that game was not overtly scary for me or enjoyable. But this one was. um, There's a difference between the day and night gameplay in Darkwood and the things that you need to do. You gather supplies during the day and then you need to be safe at night and protect yourself. So that keeps the tension throughout that it's a true survival horror game, which I really appreciated. It's nice to look at. It's grim. It's creepy. It's scary. Give Darkwood a try. I think you guys will really enjoy it. I had to take a nose-blowing and um, bath break. But here I am again. Game number four, Detention. Detention is a survival horror adventure video game created and developed by Red Candle Games for Steam. It's a 2D side-scroller. It's atmospheric horror. It's set in 1960s Taiwan under martial law. The game follows Wei and Rei, who are students who find themselves trapped and vulnerable in Greenwood High School, located in a remote mountainous area. The place they once knew has changed in unsettling ways, haunted by evil creatures known as the Lingered. While hiding from the rampaging monsters, the protagonists unveil mysteries which slowly reveal the dark past of the cursed school. So a demo version was released on Steam Greenlight in June of 2016, but the full game didn't become available until January of this year. So here it is on the best of 2017 list. I... I really like playing games that have been developed in other countries. I enjoy windows into the types of horror that are common in other countries' cultures. It's interesting to see what the horror mythos is around the world. And it's always unique depending on where you go, even though there are, of course, the overarching uh, universal human fears. Uh, Detention was a really enjoyable game. I like a good side-scroller, especially one with good artwork, like, in, uh, Detention. This is available on PS4 and the PC. It's, of course, up on Steam. So, go give Detention a try and play a great little horror game. Game number five, Observer. Hello, sci-fi horror game. You guys know I'm a sucker for this because I never shut up about Dead Space. Observer was developed by Bloober Team. It's playable on the PlayStation 4 and the PC little quote, back-of-the-box description, unquote, even though I got it on Steam. What would you do if your fears were hacked? The year is 2084. You are Daniel Lazarski, an elite neural detective known as an observer and part of a corporate-funded police unit whose purpose is to hack and invade suspect minds. When you receive a mysterious message from your estranged son, a high-level engineer for the almighty Chiron Corporation, you journey to the seedy Class C slums of Krakow to investigate. As you hack into the minds of criminals and their victims to find clues, you are forced to relive their darkest fears. How far will you go to discover the truth? Ooh, creepy. Uh, This game had great visuals, and I I just love the sci-fi horror visuals. The futuristic mingled with the horrifying is always super fun to me. There's a lot of unsettling game mechanics that contribute to this sort of schizophrenic kind of feel. Appropriate, since you're a mind hacker. I mean... The way the game works really contributes to that sort of feel of psychological horror. And there are genuine consequences to the decisions that you make that really affect the outcome of the game. Lots of noir intrigue in that way. So let me, let me know what you guys think of Observer. I really liked it. So yeah, Observer. Go play Observer. Game number six, Prey. Oh gosh, when did Prey come out? It's available on the PS4 and the PC. Full disclosure before I start talking about the 2017 Prey, I never played the 2006 version, so my feelings are unaffected by any sort of feelings about the 2006 Prey. This is another first-person shooter that I was just so jazzed to play, even though I'm not a first-person shooter person. In Prey, you awaken aboard Talos 1, a space station orbiting the moon in the year 2032. You are the key subject of an experiment meant to alter humanity forever. But things have gone terribly wrong. The space station has been overrun by hostile aliens, and you are now being hunted. As you dig into the dark secrets of Talos One and your own past, you must survive using the tools found on the station, your wits, weapons, and mind-bending abilities. This was developed by Arcane Studios. It's another sci-fi horror game, which, of course, you guys know I'm a super fan of. I will say about this one, and I hope and I think it's not just because I'm a I'm not the best first-person shooter person. The weapons seemed a little hard to control. That's that's my one big complaint, having played this game. And also that I had to uh, purchase a PS4. This was one of my motivating factors for finally purchasing a PS4. More of an Xbox girl. But anyway, there it is. And now I got to play other games that required a PS4 instead of just borrowing my brother's PS4 when I wanted to play a game. Um, pray, Play Prey. Best of 2017, game number seven, Narcosis. Narcosis is a survival story set at the hostile depths of the Pacific speci- ocean. Come on, Hannah. Narcosis is a survival story set at the hostile depths of the Pacific Ocean. Stranded after an accident, an industrial diver takes desperate steps to surface before his oxygen and sanity give out. I was really intrigued by this game just because the description gave me some serious Soma vibes and I really enjoyed Soma. But this is a different game, so don't go at it thinking this is some sort of cheap Soma clone. It's different than that, but the sort of familiar feeling really did help intrigue me to it at first. So this was developed by Honor Code Incorporated. It came out in March of 2017. It is exclusively for the PC. You can get it on Steam. The narrative was great. There was some really cool undersea fauna. There's the mechanic of pressure death, where if you get like really stressed out and use up all your oxygen, you've got some serious problems, you're going to die. My one, well, one of the few minor complaints or major, depending on how prone you are to rage quitting, is that there's some really frustrating insta-kills in there. And I began to really, really, really hate crabs by the end of this game. But Narcosis definitely deserves its spot on the list. It was creepy, it was cool, it was tense, and I really enjoyed fleshing out what happened and why we're in the situation that we're in when we as the player are making our way through this game. Game number eight, Resident Evil 7. I should have made it number seven. Why didn't I make it number seven? Oh well. Resident Evil 7 has been a long-awaited new horror game. It came out in January of this year, and I think people were really clamoring to get their hands on it. It was developed by Capcom, of course. This is the next in the long-running Resident Evil installment of games. Set within a sinister plantation mansion in modern-day rural America, and taking place after the dramatic events of Resident Evil 6, players experience the terror directly from the first-person perspective for the first time in the series. This game just delivers, as Resident Evil usually does. It's got a good story, great story. I did at some times feel like it was missing some of the puzzle elements of the older games, or at least that the difficulty had decreased, but maybe that's just because I'm getting older and smarter. Who knows? In any case, this is a solid game, a great game. I really enjoyed playing it, and I think the reviews speak for themselves that you should definitely give Resident Evil 7 a play this year. Best of 2017 game number nine, Little Nightmares. This game was developed by Tarsier Studios. It's available on the PlayStation 4, on the Xbox One, and the PC. The art style, oh my gosh, the art style of this game is just really unique and really awesome. I, the visuals blew me away. I really enjoyed looking at everything in this game. It's not the longest game, but the creepiness and the loveliness of it, it's just so worth it. Okay, back of the box description, even though there's not a box. Immerse yourself in Little Nightmares, a dark, whimsical tale that will confront you with your childhood fears. Help Six escape the Maw, a vast, mysterious vessel inhabited by corrupted souls looking for their next meal. As you progress on your journey, explore the most disturbing dollhouse offering a prison to escape from and a playground full of secrets to discover. Reconnect with your inner child to unleash your imagination and find the way out. All right, and the last game on our list, game number 10, Pamela. This game came out in February 2017. It's available on the PC. You get it on Steam. It's from N-V-Y-V-E Studios. Am I supposed to say Invive? I'm not really sure. Either way, they're the developers of this game. Pamela is an intense open-world survival horror game set in Eden, a fallen utopian city. Play as a sleeper awoken from cryosleep sleep in Eden and utilize a wide range of high-tech weapons, equipment, and buildable items that can be upgraded to suit your needs. And meet Pamela, an omnipresent AI overseer who is left alone watching over the once vibrant city, now reduced to a silent monolith gliding across the ocean. Interact with various factions, including the afflicted citizens, security droids, robot custodians, and more mysterious denizens hidden within Eden's depths. Each faction exhibits its own unique behaviors and alliances and will react dynamically to the player's behavior to become allies or enemies." This game has a really cool story and atmosphere. I particularly enjoyed the story of the Affliction because I'm a sucker for all of that body-warping creepiness, you know. Again, Hannah never shuts up about dead space. Necromorphs. I found the Afflicted to be super cool. Decisions in this game, kind of like Observer, are really meaningful, which is a mechanic that I super appreciate in games. I never liked the feeling that if I had to choose something that it didn't affect the outcome of the game, I found that to be like a really cheap mechanic. There's also a lot of cool customization in this game, which I really appreciated. You're sort of uncovering what's happened to Eden, and as you're doing that, lots of creepy stuff is unfolding I love a good sci-fi horror. Pamela really delivered story-wise and creature-wise and robot-wise on that neat sci-fi horror narrative. But I do have to say beware of bugs. You're going to see that in the Steam reviews, and I actually did experience some of that. It, the bugs can get kind of annoying. Still, though, this game has so many solid qualities. It's it's worth your time, even despite the bugs. And I think you guys will really enjoy it. Ed, Hannah here. At this point in the show, we've reached about the one hour mark, so at the end of our standalone Best of 2017 items, I'm going to go ahead and call the show for this week. We'll pick up where we left off in part two of the Best of 2017 show next week. Uh, It's already recorded, so it really shouldn't take me any time at all this week to edit that up for you and throw it up right on Sunday instead of being late like I have been for the past couple of episodes. I, of course, apologize for the quality of my voice in both of these casts. I have been sick, but I'm glad that I could get this out for you guys. As always, even though I'm sick, I want this to be the best podcast that it can be, and I can only do that with your help. Uh, get in touch with me and let me know what you guys want to hear, what you'd like me to improve on. Uh, you can reach me by email at hannahselector That's H-A-N-N-A-H-S-E-L-E-C-T-O-R at gmail.com or on Twitter at Hannah Selector. Check the cast out on the various platforms that it's available on, iTunes, Acast, Pocketcast, SoundCloud, etc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. A big thank you to everybody who has so far. It helps new listeners find our happy little family and enjoy some good horror discussion. Because I've already got a Monster Masher in the second half of the show, I'm going to go ahead and skip that for this week, and so I leave you with a fond farewell. Until next time, everybody. Woohoo! <laughs>